Like I said, I'm so glad that you're here uh, this morning. Thanks for uh, being a part of Outward Church and, uh, and hanging out with us today. I know it's kind middle of middle of the summer, beautiful days and stuff, so I know it's a little bit of a sacrifice for you to be at, at church today. We thank you for that. And so uh, it's very uh, great to be here with you. I, uh, last week was my first week back uh, preaching um, after a couple of weeks off. Uh, while I was gone, I went on a road trip with my with my family. I told you that was nine days in the car with my kids, which doesn't feel like a vacation sometimes, but nevertheless it was, and I love my, my children. But I got to go on a roller coaster uh, with my kids, and when I say got to, I mean I felt like I had to, because uh, I have not been on a roller coaster for, I mean, I, it might be 20 years, uh, something like that, uh, something along those lines. I don't know how you feel about those things, but, you know, over the last few years, like the only time that I see a roller coaster or something like that is at uh, the state fair. And uh, the way that those things are put together and the people that run them are not necessarily a winning endorsement for how safe those things are. Sometimes, my apologies if you've run one of those. I'm sure it was great when you did that. But uh, I just never feel good about this thing just got trucked in here and somebody just put this together. Like, I just don't really trust how that was going. But uh, so I was at, a, uh, at this, this uh, theme park called Silverwood over in Idaho. Uh, with, uh, with my kids and some other folks who happen to be here uh, this morning. And um, so we were, uh, we were hanging out, and uh, my son Marshall was like, Dad, you've got to go on this thing with me. And I was like, no, no, I don't really want to. And then I was like, all right, fine, I'll do it, you know. I didn't want my son to show me up and go on something scary. I had to act like it was fine. But I got into this thing, and your leg, this is one of those deals that your legs is kind of dangling. And so my legs were, uh, you know, just kind of hanging off there, and you're kind of strapped in. And then it, it's just, it's the most god-awful fear I've felt in a very long time. I mean, like, I'm trying to act, you know, strong for my son. He's, like, screaming, and I am, and I am just like, oh, God, make this stop. Um, going forward and backwards and upside down. I mean, it's, it's the worst feeling in the world. And so I had done that one, and, and I had done another one earlier in the day. And so I was like, you know what? I think I can do this. I can hack this. And so Chris was with Finley, our youngest, and they were doing the kitty rides. And so I took the three older ones. My daughter didn't really want to go, Reagan. Yeah, she's the second oldest. And so she didn't really want to go on it. And I was like, you know what? We all want to stay together. Just go with us. We're going to go on this one called Tremors. And I was like, it's not going to be that bad, you know. I mean, it's, it's going to be fine. I've already been on the worst one in the park, right? And so, Reagan, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. Dad, I don't want to go. I'm like, come on. Let's just do this thing. And so, and I'm kind of, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, cowboying up, as they say, like getting, you know, get manning up, I should say, maybe, uh, and just getting ready for this thing. And I'm like, you know, this is not that big of a deal. I'm looking at it. No, no problem. And, uh, you know, really trying to encourage my children towards this and stuff and just be strong, be courageous, that kind of thing. And then, uh, so then we got on the ride. And you, I'll, I'll just show you the picture from the ride. You'll see how it went for me. Uh, all of my kids, you know, wide-eyed, just, you know, looking out there. And I am, you know, squirming like a little girl. And uh, not my best moment, not my greatest moment in the world and really what it comes down to for me is that, well, first of all, I thought my head was going to hit this piece of wood. It, you know, it comes at it like you're going to hit it, and then it drops down, and, like, it's, it's awful. Uh, 
And so <laughs> Reagan is crying on my shoulder and all of this stuff, and we're going around these corners. And I, you know, I understand physics on some level. And what I'm really hoping is that the person who has put this roller coaster together also understands physics and engineering and like, did we check the bolts? Like, are there any cracks in the metal? Stuff like that. But like, I don't know that guy. I mean, did that guy skip the inspection that day? Because he was like, I'm gonna go get a drink with my friends. It'll be fine. It was fine yesterday. You know, that that kind of thing. And you're going around this corner and there's like 50 people on this ride and you're like, can it really hold us, you know, turning like that? And so it was just kind of a, a scary thing. But ultimately what it comes down to for me is that I just, I don't trust uh, roller coasters because I don't know who, uh, who is taking care of this thing. Who, who's the one that's making this thing operate? Who's, who's working on it? In the life of Joseph, I think what we see in this is that like, he's an incredible example. I've told you before that Joseph is a type of Christ. Joseph is a guy who uh, is, is uh, exemplifying what it looks like to be a follower of Yahweh. Joseph is a guy who uh, in his life, it's, it's like poured out to God and it like, doesn't make any sense. Like, why are you still going? You almost want to say to Joseph what Job's wife said to him, like, curse God and die. Like, he hates you. You should just, like, walk away from this thing. But Joseph is this amazing, ex shining example in the scriptures of somebody who is absolutely impressive. Last week we were talking about how Joseph had this character and this integrity. He worked incredibly hard. Even though he was taken into slavery... And even though he's a slave under a slave master, he had character and integrity, especially when his slave master's wife propositioned him and wanted him to sleep with her. And instead, he says, why would I do that, that wicked thing that is also against God? Like his, like his biggest concern is that it would be against God. And yet here he is in the midst of slavery. Here he is in the midst of uh, the pit in so many respects, and yet he is following God. He cares about, about his life with God. He cares immensely about that. And so I want to take a look with you at chapter 40 and chapter 41 here this morning. And uh, we're going we're gonna to have to move pretty quickly through some of this stuff, God willing, if not, I'll still try to end on time here and, and whatnot, but I'm going to kind of cruise through chapter 40 and then really uh, spend a little bit more time on chapter 41. Ultimately, what our issue is is that we don't really understand this God, and so that's why we don't trust him. We don't really see him. We don't really, we don't really know him, and so we don't trust the ride, if you will, that we're on. We don't really trust what he's doing. I don't know if you've had an experience like that. I don't know if you've uh, dealt with... Uh, that in your life. I think it, it's very common to humanity in my own life, thinking that I was, that I had done everything that God wanted me to. I went on a mission trip. I did this. I did that. I was saying, God, I want to follow you. And then uh, a relationship was uh, lost. A girl that I thought I was going to marry, which I'm so glad that I didn't because I have this gal. Yeah, she's nodding. That's right. You better say that right now. Uh, it was, it's very true. But then also the breakdown of my own family. And I, and, I, and I came to this point where I was like, God, I'm not sure that I can trust you. I mean, can I? And, I? and I was really asking, God, can I trust you? 
And the truth is, is that I didn't really know who this God is. I didn't really know who he was, but I think that that's what Joseph knows here. And so Joseph has been thrown into prison. He's been taken out of this great situation, as great as it can be as a slave, in Potiphar's house. And Potiphar has thrown him into this jail. And so he's in prison. And, and he begins to work his way up the ladder there. He begins to work his way up the ladder, and he becomes this, this, uh, this guy who's, who's serving the, um, the fellow that's over that, that jail, and he's doing a lot of great stuff. And then chapter 40 says this, chapter 40, verse 1 says, Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. Now, the cupbearer and the baker, those are not just like, uh, you know, the help that's, that's back in the kitchen or something like that. These are... Uh, positions of power. These are people who are close to Pharaoh. And so these two guys end up in this prison with Joseph. And it says this, and Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. So here's Joseph. He's working his way up the ranks, and he is, he's really the top guy in this prison at this point. He's been given a lot of responsibility. This is what he does in every situation, is that he works hard, and he's recognized for it. So what do we see in his life is that now all of a sudden these two really high officials get put in prison. And so instead of Joseph being uh, somebody of position and power in that prison, now he's again knocked down and he is made an attendant of these two high officials. And so what does he do? He begins to serve them and he serves them well. And what happens in this situation? It says in the next verse, and one night they both dreamed. So both of these officials have a dream, and I'm going to skip ahead here a little bit uh, for time's sake. And, and they, they have this, this dream, and they're very confused by it, and they say, there's no one to interpret it. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So here's Joseph once again in his life where you want to say, Joseph, why are you continuing to follow God? It's just like you stand up and it seems like God just knocks you down. And you stand up and God knocks you down. Or you stand up and then somebody betrays you and you get knocked down and you get knocked down. And yet Joseph once again stands in a pagan culture with multiple gods. And they say, we have a problem and we cannot interpret this issue. We cannot understand it. And Joseph's answer is ultimately, he says, interpretations of those dreams belong to God. Now, how can he stand there? How can he say that? Well, if you look back over Joseph's life, when Joseph was 17 years old, he had two dreams as well. And these two dreams were ultimately basically showing him the future. There was going to be him in the center and all of his family bowing down to him in both circumstances. He has this dream. He tells his family. His family is very upset with him. And in fact, they get so upset that that's ultimately what ends up leading him to be sold into slavery, at least part of the reason that and the coat that his father had given him and the fact that he was the favorite. And so here's Joseph in his life, and he he has seen this dream in his life, 
And apparently he understood it, and he understood the interpretation of it. And then you fast forward, and you go to these guys, the cupbearer and the baker, and he says again, God is the one who's able to interpret this dream. And he goes on here, and he tells them the interpretation. He says, one of you is going to die, one of you is going to be restored. And verse 14 of chapter 40 says, only remember me when it is well with you. And it says this, back down on, on verse 20 here, it says, On the third day, uh, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer, just as Joseph had said would take place, just as this interpretation from God had come to fruition uh, in, in his life, and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restores the chief cupbearer, but he ends up killing the other guy, just, or the baker, just like he said. And then it says this, that Joseph said, hey, I just, I, I want you to remember me. And I should say, this is back in verse 14. He gives him the interpretation, and Joseph is so sure that this interpretation is going to come to fruition, that he says, listen, when you get there and, it's, and God fulfills everything that I just told you, I want you to remember me. But what ends up happening again Verse 23, yet the chief cupbearer cup did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Like, come on. What in the world? You look at the next verse, chapter 41, verse 1. After two whole years, it's like the writer here is saying, man, look at this guy. How can he keep getting up after being knocked down? After people have betrayed him, after people have, have um, cast him aside, taken his job from him, whatever it is, how can he continue to do this? But he just, I mean, he's like the Energizer Bunny. He just keeps going, and he keeps going, and he keeps, he keeps serving God. What ends up happening here? Chapter 41, after two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And I'm not going to read the whole dream for you right now. It's in there again. We'll get to that in just a moment. But Pharaoh now has a dream. Now, there's, there's a theme here in the life of Joseph. There's a theme, and that is that Joseph had a dream, or a couple of dreams, early on in his life. It seems very clear that he understands where these dreams have come from, and he understands that he has a very particular set of skills, like Liam Neeson and Taken, and that particular skill is ultimately that he can understand what these dreams say, and he acknowledges that this is what has come from God. And so he's moving on in his life, and even though people cast him aside, and even though he loses his job, and even though all of these things take place, he is still remaining strong. And Pharaoh tells his, his people, it says in chapter 41, verse 8, it says, So in the morning his spirit was troubled because Pharaoh had just had a dream. Pharaoh is the king, by the way. He's the, the head guy. He's the, the head dude. His spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all of its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. There was nobody who could interpret this to Pharaoh. And honestly, this is a little bit like our world. Our world is, is kind of perplexed when you think about the things that are happening in uh, society today. Whether it's a, a shooting or suicide. I mean, much of it has to do with death or depression, anxiety, 
all of the things that are happening. Our world is essentially sitting there and saying, what do we do with these things? And yeah, it's not a dream. It's not the exact same thing. But I think the reality is this, is that for those who trust in the Lord, we come to our culture and we come to people with something that our world does not have. They have no understanding of who God is because they don't trust this God. But for those who trust in the Lord and understand his purposes to the degree that they've been, that that's been revealed to them through the scriptures, to the degree that God has allowed that to happen, we have an answer. We have the ability to bring that to them. And Joseph believes that. But here's Pharaoh, and he's saying, there's no one who could interpret them to Pharaoh which means there's a need for Joseph. Now think about this for just a second. All of the stuff in Joseph's life has led up to this moment. I don't know if you've been there before. I, I, I feel like I have been. Everything, all of the circumstances in his life, all of the circumstances in my life have come to this moment And maybe even this moment where I'm standing on this stage and I'm speaking about how as I look back over my life and I look at the disappointments and I look at the ways that this person didn't uh, let me into leadership at this church and uh, and I look at the ways that, um, that this person failed me or the way that my family fell apart or the way that that girl dumped me or whatever and I look at all of those things and I come to this moment right here And I sit here with my wife, and I sit here with the church that I get to be a part of, and I sit here with the elders that I get to lead with, and I sit here with all of those things, and I look back over this, and I think, God has brought me to this moment with everything that he has put me through. And yet my trust was not as wholehearted as Joseph was. Joseph is a shining example, as I said. And so here he is, there's this issue, and, Joseph, and Pharaoh is saying, there's no one to interpret this. Who will interpret this? And yet Joseph's life has been particularly from the moment of his calling, in essence, with those two dreams, when God revealed to him one day, you're going to be the, the lead, and everyone's going to be bowing down to you. And Joseph hears this, and Joseph goes through all of these circumstances, whether it was working his way up in Potiphar's house, or whether it was working his way up in the jail, and the way that he, he um, had integrity in the midst of that circumstance with Potiphar's wife, the way that he, instead of spouting off to the people that were putting him down, he continued to stay steady, and it brought him to this point where he is needed, and he is there, and God is going to use him. And verse 9 says this, Then the chief cupbearer said to the Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. This is verse 9. Yeah, verse 9. When Pharaoh was angry uh, with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard, When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. 
So here we have somebody who is looking back at his life, and what a punk, because he forgot about uh, Joseph all of these years, and then when it looks like it's going to be good for him, oh yeah, I know a guy. There's that Hebrew guy that I was like, in the, you know, in the, that I did a stint with a while ago, like, I, I got to call him up, you know, and he's like, he wants to help Pharaoh out at this point. It seems like it's going gonna, it's gonna to help him, but what he's attesting to is he's attesting to what Joseph did in that prison. Which is, here's Joseph. He's moving up the ranks. He's at the top of the heap in that prison. He's leading there. And then they knock him down and say, guess what? You're just going to be serving these two uh, you know, high officials. You're going to be their slave. And was he treated well by them? I highly doubt it. But he's their slave. And here they say, we had these dreams. And what could Joseph have said in those moments? Oh, yeah? Good luck. You're hosed. You know, what could he have done? He could have lashed out. He could have done all these things. But instead of lashing out, instead of acting in that way, whatever way he could have acted, here he has made an incredible impression on the chief cupbearer. And this cupbearer remembers, I remember the moment that that guy acknowledged who this God was, and he interpreted for me, and that came true in my life, and we should connect with that guy. I don't know if you've had that happen in your life, not necessarily about dreams, but you've affected someone in their life. Maybe you've spoken truth into them, you shared the gospel with them, and then they have a friend who ends up having a problem, and then they, uh, they say, hey, you gotta talk to my friend who talked to me, and they told me about this thing, and, I, and, and that's great, and so this, this happened, and so we should go see him that's a little bit of what's taking place here in the life of Joseph. And it comes from his unflappable hope, his unflappable trust in God. And so it says this in verse 14, Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream! There's no one who can, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it's not in me. God will give you a favorable answer. Look at that. Look, look at that. I, I stinking love that. Because here's the thing. Pharaoh's the only guy that can help him. Pharaoh is the only one. Pharaoh does not serve his God. Pharaoh does not serve Yahweh. Pharaoh serves a number of other gods, and he himself is considered to be a god. Joseph walks in there, and in the face of all of this, all of this resistance, everything that could be against him, instead of walking in fear, instead of walking in the fear of man and just saying, I just want to get out of here. I just want to escape the pain. And so I'll just tell him whatever he wants to hear and we'll move out. But instead of that, it's almost a gruff response. And what it says to me when he says, it's not in me, it says to me, he is not standing there fearful of this guy. Pharaoh, I'm sorry, Joseph, is not fearful of him because he trusts in the living God. His fear of his circumstances is removed because he trusts in the living God 
and his calling on his life that happened way back, not just in those dreams, but at the beginning of his own family through Abraham. Here he is, and he hopes in this God, and he trusts in him so much that he stands in front of the one guy that can change his circumstance, and instead of acting fearful, he says, it's not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Two commentators, while, while I was getting ready for this sermon, said, used a phrase that I hadn't necessarily heard before, but the habit of his mind. The habit of Joseph's mind was to always acknowledge God. The habit of Joseph's life, of his mind, was to always acknowledge God. And it wasn't just like God talk. It wasn't just saying, yeah, I believe in God. Or, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a churchgoer kind of thing. It wasn't just like lip service to this idea of God. It's the words that he is saying are an expression of the reality of his heart. It is not lip service that he's giving to God. As we see throughout every political campaign, as we see on Twitter right now through all of the shootings, I don't, I don't want to judge everybody. But there's a lot of people out there that don't acknowledge God in any other setting except when tragedy happens. But here's Joseph. The habit of his mind is to acknowledge God always because the habit of his heart is always to trust in God. It is to trust in God in and through everything. He's trusting in God. Why else would he continue to Hold his head up, even in the midst of horrific tragedy, even in the midst of being taken into slavery. I don't even know what I would do if I were dragged out of my country and made a slave somewhere else. Can you imagine it? But the habit of his heart, the habit of his mind, is to acknowledge God constantly. And that came from a deep abiding trust in his life in his heart and so it says this verse 17 then pharaoh said to joseph behold in my dream i was standing on the banks of the nile seven cows plump and attractive came up out of the nile and fed in the reed grass seven other cows came up after them poor and very ugly and thin such as i had never seen in the land of egypt and the thin ugly cows came up uh, I'm sorry, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows. This is like some type of psychedelic dream, right? Um, and he says, uh, in all, in, I totally lost my place. But when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were still as ugly as at the beginning. Then I awoke. I also saw in my dream seven ears growing on one stalk, full, uh, full and good. Seven ears withered thin and blighted by the east wind sprouted after them. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. And I told it to the magicians. But look at this phrase. But there was no one who could explain it to me. That's the third time that this phrase is used. There's no one who could explain it to me. And I'm perplexed. 
And so he dreams and he sees these plump cows and then he sees these skinny cows and these skinny cows eat the plump cows, but they don't get any bigger. And then the same thing happens with this corn, like the, 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 the blighted corn eats the healthy corn and it doesn't help them either. And so what happens is this, verse 25, then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Joseph is seeing something here. And that, that phrase right there tells us something about what Joseph believes. Joseph looks at the circumstances, even the natural disasters in life, and he says, God has revealed to you what he is about to do. Joseph's trust goes down deep into his core where he sees the circumstances of his life as being about what God and what God is doing, not about what people and how they have slighted him and how they've rejected him and how they've abandoned him. He looks at the events of life and he says that this is what God is doing. He has hope in who God is. And then so he begins to explain it to him. He says, the seven good cows are seven years and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years. And the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh. God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. I mean, I, I love this. It's almost like a sermon because he's like, Pharaoh, I'm telling you, God's about to do something. And here's what he's going to do. God is going to show you what he is going to do. Hey, Pharaoh, you got to be listening to me. This guy adheres to God and his hope in God. He says in verse 29, there will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, there will arise seven years of famine and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God and God will shortly bring it about. Man, he just continues to go after it and he, he wants to make something clear and that is like, I have this skill, I have this ability, I have this, this thing that I've always had as a kid, and then here I am, he's, a, he's, a, he's about a 30-year-old man, and here he is, and he's basically saying, it is not in me, it is God who is working through me, it is God who is working through nature, it is God who is working through the events of my life, and his trust is not based on some ethereal idea of who God is or whatever, what he's dreamed up on his own. His idea of trust is based on many, many years of trusting and hoping in God and God speaking to his family and God working in his family. And no doubt he knows all of these stories that we've been talking about since the beginning of Genesis. And here he is and he stands and he stands firmly in the idea that God is working and that God is moving and that God is in control of all things at all times. And so he continues to acknowledge God. The habit of his mind is driven by the habit of his heart. 
And so he, said, he begins to tell them. He says, this is how you should respond. See, everything that this story is telling us is that it's telling us that God is ultimately and finally sovereign. And sovereignty ultimately means that God's, God ultimately and finally controls all things. Charles Spurgeon has said that when you're sitting there and the sunlight's coming through the window of your house like I was the other day and you see the dust particles floating in the air, Charles Spurgeon once said that God controls that dust particle and that dust particle. God controls all of those things. See, here's the thing. In the context of your life, in the way that things have gone, yes, even in the midst of tragedy, what you can be sure of is that God is not blind to what is happening in your life. And that ultimately God is in control of those things. And for those of you that have endured horrific abuse, and horrific tragedies in your life, what you must know is that ultimately and finally, I don't know the answer to why God allowed that happen, to happen in your life. I don't know the answer as to why God allowed that person to die, but what you can be sure of is this, is that God was not caught off guard by your abuse or by the death in your family or by anything. God will ultimately and finally be glorified because he is in control of all things. See, here's what Joseph knows. Joseph knows that God has been in control since the beginning of time. God has been sovereignly aware of what is taking place and more than aware, intricately involved in it. And with his intricate involvement, he also gave that dream to Joseph, which led him to believe that someday God is going to bring him to a position of power where his family will bow down to him. And Joseph has been hoping in and he's been trusting in the reality that God knows what he's doing. Tim Keller has a fantastic quote when he says, prayer is essentially asking God to do what you would have asked him to do if you knew all that he knows. See, we can pray to God and we can say, God, I want this specific thing to take place. And God doesn't fulfill that because God is ultimately and finally aware of what is taking place. Did Joseph pray that he'd be released from prison? Yeah, but God had one better for him. God didn't release him from prison. God took one of the, the, the king's chief people, the chief cupbearer, and he said, you know, I'm going to let you get to know my boy Joseph, and this is how I'm going to bring it about. This is how I'm going to do this. This is how I'm going to make this happen. See, God has used the things in your life, and God has used the things in my life to bring about the place where we are today and to bring us to a place of hope in him and trust in him so that we can stand before our culture and perhaps be interpreters for what God is doing here and now. We can look at our culture and we can see total depravity and sin as it is working its way in and through our culture and as it continues to tear people apart and tear relationships apart. We can see what's happening here. And we get to be people who stand for God in the power of the Spirit and we get to be people who are interpreting the life's events and say, listen, here's where we're going wrong. This is what is taking place. This God who created all things and who's in control of all things 
is the one who's truly in charge here, and you are not. And the reason why these things continue to take place is that we're continuing to try to take control. And unlike Joseph, and really unlike Jesus, we try to take control of the aspects of our lives. We try to blame, we try to defend, we try to make things better on our own. And in the end, what ends up taking place is we make things worse, and we make things worse, and we make things worse. And God continues to use those things in our lives. God continues to uh, work in and through those things to bring about his ends and his means. So we're not thwarting him at all. But we get to be messengers for God. It says, Now therefore let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man, set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of those good, good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be reserved for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine. And then it says this, that this proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? So Joseph trusts in the Lord through great disaster, and yet here he is. He's standing in front of Pharaoh, and Pharaoh acknowledges one thing because this guy Joseph is being used by God to serve in this place, in this time, in his city, in his culture, in his society. And Pharaoh says, can we find anybody that has the spirit of God like this guy? Now, Pharaoh, I, we don't think even knows what God he's talking about. So he's, he doesn't really understand what he's saying, but he's acknowledging something. There is a God somewhere, and that God is in this dude. That God is in this dude. That God is working in him. And I don't know about you, but I want that to be said of me. I don't know what God you serve, but it seems clear that that God is in you. And that he is working in your life and that he is operating in the things that you're doing and the way that you're serving and the, and, the, and the ways that you use your gifts and abilities in our society today. I don't know about you, but that's what I want. Like it says in 2 Corinthians, I want to be an ambassador for Christ. I want to be an ambassador for him in our community, and Joseph like perfectly does this. He's an ambassador for God because his deep and abiding trust in God and his ultimate sovereignty in and through all things. And so he seems unaffected by what's happening. Do, do you want some ballast in your life? Do you want something to, to hold you that's not going to keep blowing you over here and blowing you over there because, we, I mean, we look at the life of Joseph. And the truth is, is that I, when I look at his life, I can show you at every point where he did well, I did horribly. Because I'm a miserable failure at being Joseph. I'm a, I'm, I'm a horrible failure at this. Like my trust in God 
Like, I got to check that every day. God, do I still believe in you? Am I still here? I mean, God hasn't let me go. God's not letting you go. But I have to check. God, do I trust in you? Would I have made that decision if I truly trusted in who you are and your ability to rule and reign in this world? God, would I have done this? Because when you look at the life of Joseph, it really just turns into a list of works that you and I must do in order to be accepted by God. In order to be received by God, it's like, okay, if I do these things, if I, if I understand my calling from God, and I understand where, I, where I've come from and my family and all of this stuff, and I understand all these things, then I am going to trust him in these ways. But the truth is, is that I don't trust him in the way that I should. I don't walk in the ways that I should in character and integrity sometimes. All of us can say that. I don't do the things that I ought to do. And so at the end of the day, when I look at the life of Joseph and I look at what, he, what he's done and how he's lived, like I do not measure up. I do not measure up to him and I cannot do what Joseph has done in and of myself. But that's the beauty of what God is doing. That's the beauty of Jesus. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. See, the old Matt was very angry when someone didn't give me the job that I thought I should have. The old Matt and, and all of, and, and even sometimes the Matt of today, is as well, but what this verse is saying is it's saying, because of Jesus Christ, because Jesus went to the cross, it is not that I'm being held to the standard of, I've got to be like Joseph, otherwise I don't really trust God, and I don't really measure up. No, what this is saying is this, is that like, because you do not measure up, because you cannot do it on your own, because you have no ability, because you have no strength, because you don't have a, uh, even the slightest amount of the trust that you need to really fulfill what Joseph did, Jesus did it for you. Jesus did it for you. It says this, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. It's not that old life that I'm still adhering to. It's saying, Jesus has given you a new life. He's given you a new ability. He's given you a new way to be like him. He's already made it new. If you've trusted in him, if you've believed in him, he says, all this is from God. 2 Corinthians 5.18, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Do you see what that's saying? This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, which says, it's, all of this comes from God, who, who has, without our will being involved, he comes to us and he says, I'm reconciling you. All of the ways that you've screwed up, all of the things that you've done, all of the ways that you didn't act like Joseph, that you didn't act like Jesus, I am reconciling me to you in and through Jesus Christ. He went to the cross, he paid for your sin. He paid for all your mistakes. He did all of that. And so as a result, 
what happens is this. He reconciles us to himself. He takes me, kicking and screaming, and he says, I'm reconciling to you to myself. And what does he do for us? He says, and now I want you to go and show my grace, my mercy to other people, similar to the way that Joseph was. He's bringing God to bear. He's bringing Yahweh to bear on his culture. He's a display of who this God is. Look at what it says next. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and then trusting to us the message of reconciliation. Because we've been reconciled to God, because we haven't fulfilled the life of Joseph, and especially the life of Jesus, because of that, he has reconciled us to himself. He, he entrusted us with the message of reconciliation. And he says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal to our city, to our culture, to these people, to the pharaohs of our world, where we can stand before them and we can do so without fear, without anything, because I, I don't care what you think of me. I care what this guy thinks of me. I care what God, believe, what God thinks of me, and so I operate out of fear, or not out of fear, but out of hope and out of trust, and he says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We go to our culture and we say, we implore you, don't you see what God is going to do? Don't you see that this will not be forever? Don't you sense the judgment that you're feeling? Don't you sense the fact that your sin and my sin is ultimately sending us to hell? And we implore them on behalf of God to be reconciled to him for our sake. He made him, that is Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, Joseph, as I said, is a type of Christ. And he's acting like the righteousness of God. But it says here that Jesus went to the cross because God has made Jesus sin in our place so that we can be the righteousness of God. You want to be like Joseph? You got to go through Jesus. You got to go through Jesus. And when you see that, that God is so merciful and he was so gracious to you that when you were still a sinner and you did not want relationship with him, when you were still a sinner and you wanted to reject him, God changed your Heart. As my wife said at the beginning of the service, the only reason why you're here and you want to worship God is because God, because God has changed your heart from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh to begin to worship this true and this living God. And you get to worship him because he's been so merciful and gracious to you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, what a great story of 
of Joseph and how he follows you, how he trusts in you. Lord, we see our inadequacies in that story, all of the things that we haven't done. And Lord, it brings a sense of judgment. It brings a sense of, I'm not deserving. And Lord, that's really true. And so that, that is why you've made a way through the cross for us. Lord, may we see that the cross is not just the beginning of our Christian life, but that it is the sustenance of our ongoing Christian life. Not that we need to be resaved, but Lord, that we need to continually look to your cross and be reminded of what you've done for us and that you've released us from the bonds of sin and that you've brought us to a place of wholeness as a new creation. But Lord, you've given us something to do to be ministers of reconciliation empowered by you. Lord, may you sear that into our hearts and to our minds. Lord, for those that came in here this morning wondering what it means to be close to God or to have a relationship with him, Lord, I pray that they would see the truth that you went to the cross for all of the ways that they have not done what is right. And Lord, that they would, that they would receive it, that they would trust in you as a result and your absolute sovereignty over all things at all times. But we pray and we ask you for these things in your great name. Amen.